Well, I'm the interim associate pastor here at Village Church. Glad to be here to worship with you. And for those who are here this morning, welcome to Village Church. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're with us as well to worship our God. I've recently uh, been reading through the book of Jude. And um, it's interesting, four times in the book, he calls us beloved. And he actually says we're beloved of God. Now, I want you to think about that term means we are greatly and very loved by God. Let, let that sink into not just your head. I want you to go to your heart. I want you to understand. If you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, you are loved, truly loved, beloved by God. And when he looks down here on this earth and sees you, he looks at you and says, beloved. And he calls you beloved and he looks at you and says beloved and he wants you to know that you're the beloved and we come to that God with our prayers we've just sung a song that we want to bring our cares our doubts our fears to God why can we do that because we're beloved the Lord Jesus Christ so you bow with me in prayer as we come to the God who calls us beloved Oh, Lord, how good to come into your presence. How good to be in that throne of grace. How good to know that we are your beloved. And as your beloved, we can bring all our cares, all our concerns, all our fears, all our doubts to your presence. And God, to know that because we're loved, you will listen to us, you will care for us. Lord, we all come with different circumstances and issues that we're working with, different trials and tests we're going through. Some that encourage us of the good things you're doing in our life, but some of them, Lord, tire us and wear us out. There's some things financially and good that be building us up, but for some it could be financially things where you're wearing us down. It could be good for us on some relationships that are encouraging us, but we could also have some relationships that are discouraging us. Or we have trials that distract us, but also trials that encourage us and build us up. Lord, wherever we may be today, we come as a congregation, we come as individuals, as your beloved, to bring our cares, our concerns, our fears, our doubts to the throne of grace. Lord, as a church family, we have those who are beloved that serve us around the world as missionaries. Those who are given their life, that they can follow Christ. But bring the gospel to people who desperately need a Savior. We pray for Nemo and Catherine today, Lord, as they carry out that gospel ministry. And Lord, to know that they are bound up in a home, restricted in their country by COVID, unable to get to their congregation, the people that they fellowship with at this time. Lord, know they can talk to them. They can Zoom. They can text or whatever. Lord, encourage them in their ministry now. Strengthen them in what they're doing. Boy, is this young family that they are. Just let them be the mom and dad that they need to be. Lord, also let them see fruit from their labor as they reach people who desperately need a Savior. We pray for Brian and Sandy Rhodes, Lord, as they carry out that gospel ministry that carries to children all around the world through Awana. 
people are to know even the suffering they've gone through, the, the loss for Sandy in particular, with her mom's home going to you, but yet the loss for her and Brian and her kids and grandkids, that, Lord, you're the God of all comfort to come alongside them. But I pray that you give them wisdom, Lord, as they connect with leaders here in the States and around the world to reach children for Jesus Christ. To know you have places around the world where the gospel is going out and kids are coming to Christ and parents are coming to Christ and actually church are being planted in very some unusual places. Give them a way to continue to take that gospel and teaching and training and equipping and ministering those leaders around the world that we can celebrate with them of those who come to Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Actually, take your Bibles out with you and, uh, or your text in the printed page or the digital page and open up to Exodus chapter 20 and uh, verse 12. We are going to be looking at the fifth commandment. And uh, I'd like to pray before we look into the word. Now, the reason for that is, I know you know, I'm just reminding you, we're indwelled with the spirit of God. And what the scriptures tell us is the way we understand this book It's not because of our intellect. It's because the Spirit of God comes and illuminates, makes us understand the Word of God. And we need to invite the Spirit to do that. And we need to pray for our hearts, that our hearts will hear what the Spirit wants. I don't know about you, I don't always enjoy what the Word of God and the Spirit tells me to do. I like it when He likes me, and I don't like it when He corrects me. But we want the Spirit to do the work it wants to do. So I'm going to invite the Spirit to come and do that work before we look at God's Word. So we're going to pray again, okay? Hey, God, we invite your Spirit to come and join us through our hearts and our minds to take the Word of God and open it up that we can see the wonderful truths you have for us. Lord, to use that truth in our lives, to encourage us, to comfort us, even to correct us. But no, you do that, Lord, that you can mold us and shape us, that we can become more like Christ and we're committing ourselves to that spirit to make us those kinds of people who not only grow in Christ, but that we become more like him. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, I was talking to a mom here in the last week or so and she was commenting about one of the interesting that has happened as they've been home as a family with online worship. She says, as a sermon comes up, all of a sudden they're sitting there with their two boys, and all of a sudden the boys start asking questions about what the Bible says or what the preacher says. And I don't know if they pause it at that time or not, but it lets them interact with the Word of God. It's interesting, if they were here on a Sunday morning, and if I were the parent and my kids started talking like that, you know what I would do is, shh, 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 quiet, 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 quiet. But they get to interact that way. Interesting talking to some other parents here, what's been going over the last couple months. In December, there were those parents who talked about going through this Advent calendar with their children. And as the parents sit down and doing that on a weekly basis, since January, we had parents who are also in a discipleship fashion going through Little Pilgrim's progress with our kids. But to hear the stories of those parents and those children talking about what they're learning about God's word. It's just sort of interesting. It's like all of a sudden during this time period where you wouldn't expect it, somehow all of a sudden the family just keeps coming together. But then you hear them talk about their parents. Oh, you know, they're concerned about their parents and their health. And even during some of this time, it may be where they call mom and dad up and say, hey, 
I'll pick up at Target today. What do you need? Just call an order and I'll go pick it up. Or actually do the shopping for them and all of a sudden it's dropped at the front door. So the parents don't even have to go out and do anything. And all of a sudden you're watching this time period and all, and we're just watching the sense of where family just seems to be taking uh, just sort of a, a new position as we pause and think over this past year. It's like, boy, the family is really important. But it's interesting we come to the, the Ten Commandments. It's what God has done in the first four commandments is talked about a relationship with God. It's almost like that's the first tablet. As he gets done with this tablet, he's now going to take us to the second tablet. When we get to this tablet, he pauses and says, okay, now I want to talk about relationships. But the foundational relationship in any society, any culture in the nation of Israel is the family. And our text is to honor mother and father. He's going to talk about the family. I want to make sure we understand it. He doesn't talk about marriage here. He's talking about the family. And I want to say that somehow for God, this is a key piece to life and culture and society is the family. And then he gives us the command. Honor your father and mother. And it causes us to pause and say, well, wait a second. Moses, what do you actually mean by that? How? How? Are we going to honor our fathers and mothers? So here's what I want you to think about. This is a commandment. Here's our text. Let me read it for you. Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. There's a command. Now to understand this command, the first thing we need to understand is that it's a you. Now, when we have you, you can have a you, which is singular, which is you, or you have a plural you, which is y'all. And this is not a y'all. And when you come to the New Testament, most of Paul's are y'alls. You all, trying to talk to the whole corporate thing, but this one's different. It's singular. So whenever I get their pointers out, okay, get your pointer. Got it? Get your pointer. Now, you know how you usually use your pointer, right? You need to do this. But this today, here's how the pointer works. Take your pointer and turn it in and point to yourself. This is all about you. Not about anyone else. This is not about your spouse. This is not about your children. This is about you. That's what he wants us to understand. The second thing he wants us to understand is about everyone here. Interestingly, if he had made this husband and wife, all of a sudden someone said, I'm not married. Doesn't apply to me. He doesn't do that. Every one of us in this room have a mother and a father. We've all had a mother and father. That's just the nature of being born. So all of a sudden he takes this basic element of life, mother and father, and identifies that. And as soon as you hear those words, it sounds like parents. Now, when I was younger, I somehow thought that when I grow up and become a parent, there was some stage in my life with being a parent with my parents, there'd be some equality that comes in here. And that somehow they would not just be my parent or not my parent. They'd actually be said, we're, we're friends. We're co-equals in a way. So when I was planting my first church, I was in Langdon, North Dakota, town of 2300, 17 miles from Canadian border. I, I checked this this morning. Minus 55 chill factor. Aren't you glad you're here? 
and you think this is cold. So I'm up there and I'm planting a church and we had three widows that attended our church. I asked them why they attend, because you have children in your churches and other churches don't. So Hazel lived next door and I asked Hazel, I said, why don't we do this ministry? And I said, you can invite your friends and we called it Coffee with the Pastor. So I show up at Hazel's house and there's three cars. I thought, well, okay, I go inside, there's 17 women. So I come in and we're sitting, and Hazel has a huge living room, so it worked out great. They're all sitting way around like this, and I'm sitting in a chair by myself. And so I thought, well, I don't know 14 of these women, so I just said, why don't you tell me something about your family? And for the next two hours, I listened about their family. But here's what, this is one that really struck me. There's an 85-year-old woman talking about her 65-year-old son the same way I talked about my 10-year-old daughter. And it struck me. I will always be my parent's child. So when this command is given, it's identifying a relationship that never changes. It's talking to each one of us individually. It's talking to us as parents. It's talking to us as children. And tell us the same thing, honor your mother and father. Now the command is honor. And all of a sudden you start looking at this term, it's a term that I'll just call it a pregnant term that's far bigger than we can imagine with this one word. Why do I say that? If you go through the Old Testament of how this is translated in your Bible, with the different uh, tenses, the different moods, there are 26 different ways this one word is translated. 26. There's a whole range of meanings to this word. Uh, Some of the basic ones are to respect. Some are to glorify, that is speak well. It actually means to be heavy. It's where actually it can be a burdensome thing that comes to you as well. And the other one is the word honor. But sometimes the best way to understand how a verse is used and understand what the word means is when that verse is quoted somewhere else in the Bible. And what happens is this writer in the Bible is actually interpreting this verse for us. And we're going to look at two other passages for this today and several other passages. So this morning, we're not going to be in Exodus at all. We're going to be all over our Bibles. Now to do that, just to remind you, as we go to different passages, some of you have all the books of the Bible memorized like, this is a piece of cake. You're just having fun going through your Bibles. Some of you have some tabs down the sign that help you find books. And, and if you don't have that, always keep in mind you've got the table of contents in the front of your Bible. Turn to that if you don't know where the book is, because it'll tell you exactly, as opposed to trying to discover the book. And then for most of you, you've got the easiest thing you can do. Your Bible app, you just put the verses in, poof, it appears. Well, whatever case you're using, we're going to go to several passages today to help us understand what honoring your mother and father means. So the first passage is Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 3. Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. Paul's going to bring us along, trying to give us an understanding of what this verse means. He's walking through the Christian life of how we walk and live. He's dealing with relationships in the home. He's talked about husbands and wives. And now he speaks directly to the children. In Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 3, he says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment, which is a promise that may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So all of a sudden he gives us a description. He says, now when I think of this word honor for children, they need to understand that the word is basically to obey. When I think of honoring my parents as a child, I can have these variety of meanings, but the primary one he wants a child to understand is to obey. Okay? Now we're going to look at a second passage, which is going to talk to adults. So if that's what a child is supposed to do, our question becomes, well, what's the, what's the what I want to understand as an adult that it means to honor our parents? So for that, we need to go to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7 and verses 10 to 13. Now, in this passage, what's happening, Paul, uh, Jesus is having a discussion or debate with the Pharisees about how they live and what they do. And he's really challenging them on a part of where all of a sudden he's going to challenge them that what they understand the Bible teaches is not correct. And it all deals with mothers and fathers. So Mark chapter 7, verses 10 to 13. Here's what we read. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, this is what the Pharisees teach. You say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you should would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. So Jesus is saying, listen, you've got this command to honor your father and mother. Now, as Pharisees, what has happened is you gain some wealth, you have some assets, you have things that belong to you. So you've taken all your possessions, you set them down here, you step back away from them, and you say, that is Corban. Now, the word Corban means it's just given to God. But they actually say, I've given everything I own, all my possessions, all my assets, everything I have belongs to God and to me. So when your mother or your father comes along, and for whatever reason it is, maybe it's a health reason that something's just gone wrong. Maybe they've lost their job, whatever it is, that somehow they have some need and they come to you and say, son or daughter, is there any way you can help us out? You as a Pharisee stand here and say, sorry, mom, sorry, dad, but I know I have a lot, but it's not mine. It all belongs to God and I can't help you at all. Jesus says, you have made void the word of God. And what he is saying is honoring for an adult child is somehow helping their parents. Somehow caring for them, whether financially or some need in some way, that what you have is turned to use to assist them in any way that they may need. And that this word honor goes from obedience for a child all the way out here to care as an adult. And he gives us an understanding how that's broad the word honor means. Well, if that's what honor means, the question is, well, what about this promise that we have? The promise that is told us by Paul, it's called a promise that we'll get into the land and things will go well for us. Well, I thought about that and I thought, well, we could go through trying to identify all the things that go well. And I said, wait a second, let's reverse this. 
Let's say you don't honor your mother and father. Let's say you choose not to do that. What are the consequences if you do that? So it's a nega way of doing it. So now you need to go to Deuteronomy, okay? Back in Deuteronomy, we're going to look at two different passages. The first one is Deuteronomy 27. Deuteronomy 27, verse 16. What we want to take a look at is, if I'm supposed to honor mother and father, and if I do that, God's going to give me life, and I'll be blessed in the promised land. The question is, well, what if I don't, dis- what if I don't honor them? Here's the consequence of that. Deuteronomy 27, verse 16. Cursed be everyone who dishonors his mother or father. And all the people shall say, Amen. Pay attention to that. He says, if for any reason I dishonor my mother or my father, if that's my pattern of life, I will be cursed. I won't have the promise of things going well for me. No, things will not go well for me if I dishonor my mother and father. We're going to look at another passage which gets even more scary because it actually says that people feared God when they heard this one. Turn to Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 to 21. Deuteronomy 21, 18 to 21. Here's what we're going to read. We're going to read about parents dealing with the rebellious kids. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, he will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him, bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives." And they shall say to the elders of this city. So understand what takes place here. The elders of the city sit at the gates. The gates is sort of like city hall. It's where they do all the transaction and business of the city. So as a parent, you're raising your kid. It speaks here of a son. And somehow the son comes along, he's rebellious. He doesn't respond to your discipline. We find out he's a, could be drunker and all and riotous and all. And somehow, you've just had it with your kid. You don't know what to do with them, so you bring them to the elders, to City Hall. Here's what happens next. They're here in their City Hall, and they say, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Now, there's no way in today that we are going to stone anybody to death if they're rebellious to their parents, okay? But I want you to understand what God wants us to know about the importance of honoring mother and father. The consequence in their country was first to be cursed. But if for some reason there's this open rebellious of a drunkard and a glutton and life going impossible... They could actually bring that child before the elders and let them, in a sense, discipline their child. That's the seriousness of dishonoring mother and father. Uh, So what's Moses want us to understand? What does God want us to understand from this command? He wants us to understand this. Honor. 
your father and your mother, and it will go well with God. You want God on your side in your life? You want God to be the one who encourages and comforts and is there with you? Well, well, make sure you honor your mother and father. I want you to think through this with me, just through stages of life. Because what we understand is somehow it changes as our relationship changes with our kids. And as your relationship changes with your parents. Things are different as you get older. So let me talk to the children first. So if you're a child, you find yourself over here, and you know what the command is, you probably had to memorize this. If not, your parents taught it to you. You are to obey. Uh, it's, it's that simple. That, that's, part of my, that's how you honor your parents. You obey your parents. Now, the age of children, even in our country, it's like, boy, you're up to 18 before you're prosecuted as an adult. And that's usually when you're still in the home of your parents, somehow living in that home, and all, and all of a sudden it's saying, listen, if you're a child, your responsibility to honor your mother and father is to obey. Now, I know as a kid, you're saying to yourself, I obey at times and I still get in trouble. I try to do the right thing and I still get in trouble. That's because you need to remember a couple things about obedience. It's important on how you obey. Here's what I mean. So let's say you're told to clean up in the kitchen, put the dishes away and everything, but you're just frustrated that you have to do that. But you go and do it. But as you do it, you make sure you make a lot of noise with those dishes. And somehow those cabinet doors keep slipping out of your hand. And boom, everybody hears it in the house. And it's how you do it. Oh, if that doesn't happen, your parents, your mother, your father says, will you go upstairs and clean your room? And again, that's not what you want to do right then. So how do you go upstairs? You stomp up those steps. And they know how you are obeying. You respond, I did what you asked me to do. And they're like, no, 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 no. It's how you did it. The second thing about um, obedience is um, it's also important on uh, when you do it. I, there, there's, some, there, there's some obedience that it needs to be done now. I mean, what, here's what I mean by that. If you have an appointment or you have to be at church on time or at school on time, you, you need to get up and go. There's not a way you're supposed to delay the family. You need to go now. And that's obeying on time. But there's other things. that You're given a window in order to obey. And you understand that. If the trash has to be out on Tuesday morning, you don't have to take it out Friday when you're reminded. Just make sure it's out on Tuesday. And there's a window of when you do it. So it's how you obey. The other one is the quality of obedience. Did you actually do what you're supposed to do? So you're back there with the dishes and you're working on the dishes and everything and you're told to put them in the dishwasher and you're told to put them away and come in. They're still, they're not all in the dishwasher, but some are and most of them are put away, but not all of them are put away. And all of a sudden you find out, how'd you get in trouble? You were doing the right thing, but you didn't do it all and the quality of work plays out. Or if your parents come upstairs, they walk into your bedroom and they look around and say, well, You didn't hang these up. You didn't put this away because the quality of obedience is not complete. 
And the reasons children you get in trouble for obeying is how you did it, when you did it, or the quality of obedience. And all of a sudden, you'll find you're honoring your parents when you do those things in that appropriate way. So we have children. The word for them is to obey. But those children get a little bit older and now they become those young adults. Whatever age that means. But you know, you know what I'm talking about. It's this in-between age. It's rather, we don't call them quite full adults, but they're getting there. And we know things have changed. They're physically, they're bigger, they're stronger, they have things, they're looking jobs, they're part-time jobs, they have some money. Life has changed for them. And somehow obedience isn't the right word all the time because that's not what always frustrates the parent. Because the important word for young adults is respect. And how you show respect to your parents. Now understand what respect doesn't mean. Respect does not mean you have to agree with everything your parents think or understand. But how you disagree can show honor or dishonor. Oftentimes what we find at this stage of life is the importance of the words you use and the tone of voice that you use and the body language that accompanies. I remember my dad talking to us as kids and I have no idea what we did, but I know what he called it. It was rolling our eyes. I was like, "Uh uh-oh, this was not good. And somehow that showed disrespect of how we listened. At this stage of life, the word choice is important. Keep in mind, you're no longer talking to your brother or sister. You know, the name calling you do with them, which I'm not advocating, I'm just describing. But you know what you say to your brothers and sisters. You know how you speak to them and how you talk to them. And unfortunately, when you become a young adult, you think you can talk to your parents that way. And that is not respectful. You can say what you think, express your opinion, but somehow speak with words and tone that show respect even when you disagree on something. And now we get to that final group, the adults. What makes you an adult? Whatever you think makes you an adult. But oftentimes we associate when you get out of school, you're done with schooling, you've got a job. It's maybe when you talk about marriage, maybe when you have kids. Somebody, you know what I'm talking There's this stage here. And all of a sudden this stage shifts. We read that passage out of Mark 7. And Jesus wants us to understand that somehow we have a responsibility for the care of our parents. And the word I would use here is care. If it's obedience and obey for children, if it's respect for the young adult, it is care for the adult. That somehow when you look at your mother and your father, you need to step back and realize you have a responsibility somehow to make sure they are cared for. You may not need to do anything, 
My mom lived to 95 years of age, still lived at home, still drove a car, God forbid. Like this, my kids, you know, that's another story, another time. My mom, she had her driver's license. In fact, she just got it renewed at 95 for five years. Oh, I'm glad I didn't live in Delaware. And so all of a sudden it's the idea of you've got life here and it's like they may live on their own. But the whole idea, you're aware of their needs and making sure they are being cared for, whatever that may mean. That's adult life. Now, as adult life, make sure you understand what it happens here. We as the children, as adults, are to care for our parents. The scriptures don't seem to look at parents and say, make sure you take care of your adult children. It does not seem to be put upon them to do that. But adult children are to care for their parents. This gets pretty specific in ways. We talked about how you care. It can be finances. You can have a skill where you can save parents money just by doing a task for them and fixing things. It's somehow you're aware of what their needs are, that they're being cared for. Whether you do it or not, you're aware that they're being cared for as they get older in life. There's one very specific though. Look at 1 Timothy 5 with me. Very specific group of people to care for. In 1 Timothy 5, verses 8 and verse 16. And that is our responsibility to care for widows and widowers. Now the passage is going to talk about widows in particular. But Jesus was very specific when he talked about how you care for, he didn't say mother and father. He said father or mother. I mean, some of you have had your father pass away, so mom's still alive, that's a widow. Maybe you've had a situation where mom has passed away, and dad's still alive, that's a widower. My observation on those two things are this. When mom becomes a widow, the child she will turn to is oftentimes her son. If she has a son, why? She's missing the voice of the man, her husband, in her life. And she doesn't always understand what he would have said. But I've also watched when mom has passed away and there's a widower. You know who he calls and checks in with? His daughter. Because he's lost the woman, the wife voice in his life. For whatever case it is, we have responsibilities for mother or father. When their spouse has died. Here's what Paul wrote to Timothy. This is a young pastor he's writing to. He teaches him about teaching the church, worship in the church, leadership in the church. He gets to relationship. He spends most of this chapter five on widows. Here's what he says in verse eight. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially the members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If any unbelieving woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. He's just identifying there's widows, there's widowers. And we, as adult children, have a responsibility to care for them, whatever that may mean. However they are provided for. Just be sure that we're aware of what their needs are and they are being cared for. 
Now, there's an interesting question that arises for us. Because our parents age at times, we wrestle with the question of, what if they come of age and their health changes to the point that I really can't, I really can't care for them anymore. What do I do then? I still love my mom, I still love my dad, but what do I do then? And we start wrestling with next steps there. And some of you have already wrestled with this. You've had moms or dads or grandmoms or grandma. You've had people live in your home and you've cared for them. But what happens if it comes to a place that you just don't have the capacity? Physically, you may not be able to. Let's look at Luke chapter 10. And I'm just sharing an insight here to think about. Okay? I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not saying, here's what you should do. But I'm giving you a verse to help you process through. If you come to this place in your life, to process through just some instruction Jesus gives us in an indirect way. Of all stories, it's the Good Samaritan. Oh, we love the Good Samaritan. Oh, what a guy. He took care of this guy who was beaten up and left. And he took care of him. Pay attention. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, that's two days full salary, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers, he said? They said, the one who showed him mercy. He said, you go and do likewise. He called it mercy. He called it mercy when he cared for the man and then paid somebody else to care for the very same man. And Jesus affirmed that and called that mercy. I'm just saying, if you find yourself at that place in life, I'm just giving you a passage to think through to help you process That Jesus seemed to affirm and recognize. There's times that we may pay someone else to care for those that we love because of our inability to care for them for whatever reason that may be. So we have those that deal with that. The fourth one I want to comment about is death when mother and father pass away. How do you honor your parents who are dead? Some of you are raised in godly Christian homes. Boy, their funerals are just great celebrations of how they live for Christ. Your memories are so wonderful. You just love telling stories about mom and dad and their spiritual life. But some of you are not raised in that. You're raised in highly dysfunctional homes. Maybe alcoholism was there. Maybe abuse was there. But somehow your dysfunctional home was not that godly Christian home. And your folks have passed away. Is there a way you honor your parents when they have passed? I think there's a way of being truthful. You can speak factually about, here's the kind of home I was raised in, and identify reality of what it was. But I think the focus after that is not crushing our parents, but actually turning and showing how the grace of God somehow came into our lives, and somehow through this alcoholic home, this dysfunctional family, somehow through the abuse that I may have grown up with, God's grace brought healing 
and hope to my soul through this disruptive home I grew up in. And somehow, I show honor to God out of that home. One final thing to comment about, whether you're a child, a young person, an adult, and if for some reason you find yourself in an abusive home, and abusive parents, and we're talking about physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, I'm not saying to honor them as to stay in place. But you need to step back and figure out how do you honor your parents in that kind of setting? Two things I'd suggest. One is for yourself. You need to find someone to talk to about what is happening. That you can get the right counsel of one, how to set boundaries, but also find out the next steps for you of how to get help for you and also for your parents. And the second thing is to find help for your parents. That somehow they would be able to come to a place that hope would come to them. Ideally, the gospel would come to them. But until then, some counsel to them and to you of how you can be separated with boundaries, protect you from that abusive situation. The command is honor mother and father. And God will be with you. And it will go well with God if you honor them. Whether you're a child and you obey. Whether you're a young person and you show respect. Or whether you're that adult. Who cares? We're all called to honor our mother and father. And it will go well with God. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we give you thanks for our parents. And we bring before you our need and desire to honor them. Whether we do that with obedience, whether we do that with respect, whether we do that with care, let your spirit bring to our attention our need that we need to honor our mother and to honor our father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, when you come to the New Testament, it identifies that that honoring, that obedience comes because of who we are in Christ. When Paul talks about children obeying parents, it's after he's gone through the whole gospel to identify that we have the Holy Spirit within us. And thereby we are able, able to have the strength to be obedient to the word of God. But that is why we celebrate the Lord's table every week. This communion comes about that we celebrate. So it'll be a reminder what Christ has done for us. Oh, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, it's understand what the gospel is. The gospel is recognize that you're a sinner and that Christ has died on the cross for your sins. He was raised on the third day after that crucifixion. And we're called to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we shall be saved. So we have communion. You've got by your chairs there these small cups. You can pick one up. There's Sullivan that covers the bread. There's another one that covers the juice. If you know Christ, we invite you to partake with us. If you don't know Christ, we ask you not to partake because it says when you do this, you're proclaiming Christ until he comes again. So I'm going to ask you to have a time of silence, just preparing your hearts. And you may want to give praise to God for your parents. You may want to ask God to work in your heart or confess. But have your hearts prepared that we can partake together. When we do this, we'll open us, we'll go through, and we'll all take together at the same time, okay? Let's go to silent prayer.